2000, there was a, a company that was just barely making it. They had tried lots of options on how to improve, but they decided in a joint meeting that they just didn't have what it takes to be a company. So after a lot of consideration and thoughts, one of the leaders of their organization went and met with a friend over lunch. Just simply said this, we're a young company and we know that we don't have what it takes to succeed. So we need better brains involved and wanted to know if y'all would buy us out and take over. The man across the table giggled to himself. He thought, man, a company like y'all will never succeed. <laughs> In fact, he told him that. He said, I want you to know something. We're a big company. And we don't have time to mess with a company that may not make it. Y'all's technology no one's heard of. No one's ever going to sign up for it. And y'all are going to die within a few years. The year was 2000. So they left that meeting one man feeling proud of himself and had so much pride and thought that he owned the world. And the other one, dejected and humbled and miserable, he returned back to his board and informed them that the company in question was not going to buy them. And so they sat around for a week trying to figure out were they going to liquidate or were they going to go all in. That company today is the most widely watched company in the world, Netflix. The company across the table, Blockbuster Video. You imagine how different our world would be? Let's just do a quick poll. You ready? How many of y'all, this is going to really change the room versus demographics, had a Blockbuster card? Go ahead and raise your hand. There's a few of y'all out there. Y'all remember going, they used to be what we did, right? Your family's going to do something. It costs too much to go to watch a movie. So you would go rent one. Do you remember back when they had the please rewind above the windows? And if you didn't remember, they would charge you for it. They'd say, oh, you didn't rewind the video. We charge you an extra 50 cents to rewind a video. Now we rewind nothing. We're just a different world. But can you imagine had Blockbuster had the vision to see what Netflix would become, how the world would be different. You see, this is what we want to talk about today. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about mountains in our lives. And let's just review right quick. Can God move our mountains? There's a few of y'all that are still here with me. That's good. God can move our mountains. God desires to move the mountains in our life. And God said that he would do it if we would trust in him. So because of that, we have great hope and faith in a Lord who loves us enough not to just save our lives, but to move our mountains. That's an amazing thought from God, that he desires to love you even before you get to heaven. Because only in heaven are you going to be made perfect. This side of heaven, we're messed up. We're jacked up from the head up, right? All of us in the room have something that's not right and not holy and not sound when it comes to the things of God. And because of that, he loves us still. That's amazing. What's more than that is he not only wants to save your heart, he wants to change your life. And he's not okay with you having these mountains in your way that keep you from living a life to its fullest. 
So let's talk today about a mountain that I think may be one of the most treacherous, the mountain of pride. Now, I want to tell you, I believe that there's two kinds of pride. There is a, a pride that is the opposite of shame, and then there's a pride that is the opposite of humility. The opposite of shame is something like that's found in 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks to the Corinthian church and he says, I take great pride in the fact that y'all keep working like you are. That pride is not a sinful pride. That's not pride boasting in himself, or Paul boasting in himself. That's a pride that boasts in others, a pride that boasts in the things of God. We should be proud when God does something. We should be proud when people give their lives to Christ. That's not a, a selfish pride. The, the pride we want to talk about today is the selfish pride, the opposite of humility kind of pride. A pride that, as Scripture, as we learn here in just a moment, comes before a tragedy. Have you ever been to the theater? Not like the movie theater, but like, you know, where there's a play in front of you. And you can see something that's about to happen, but you can't stop it. Like you can see everything leading up. Maybe you've seen Romeo and Juliet. These two star-crossed lovers who find each other from separate households at, at war against one another. And you can see it coming that this inner fighting between the families is going to harm Romeo and Juliet in some way. And as you watch it, you want to yell out, y'all got to stop this. I mean, there should be a wedding and y'all should be happy and y'all should have crazy grandkids coming. But because y'all are so prideful, something bad's about to take place. And then you see as the, the play is coming to an end as, as the star-crossed lovers drink the poison. And you're like, what? I probably ruined Romeo and Juliet for like the three of y'all that haven't heard or seen it. They live. Read Romeo and Juliet. Anyways, um, but I mean, you can't stop it, and you see it coming, and this is exactly what God sees with pride, is a train running in your life that's coming into a stop without brakes. Pride only has one end, and that's you being God. And if I remember correctly, way back in the desert where, where God is talking to Moses and he's up on Mount Sinai, he tells them, there is to be no other gods but me. So pride is telling God that you're him. This is a hard task, dealing with the mountain of pride. Because let's admit it, none of us have pride in our lives, right? We're too proud to admit that. We, we never struggle with saying that we're the man or we're the woman. We, we all think that we're something. That's the problem. In fact, pride is sold to us across counters. Wear this shirt, wear this makeup, get this hair stuff, and you will be something. And God goes, you can't buy my love. So why are you trying to buy anyone else's? Pride says that you are in charge of it all. And God says, not so fast. So let's go to the text today. We're going to read from Proverbs uh, 3 verse 21, chapter 16, 1 through, 16, uh, 1 through 21. And I, I want you to notice something about this particular lineup of Proverbs. 
there are some Proverbs that are written in a straight line text. So you get a full scope of thought. Then there are some Proverbs that are written with kind of bullet points, if you will. Kind of like chicken soup for the soul points. You know, you get this one and then that one and then this one, but they're all categorized in a school of thought. So let's read Proverbs 16, 1 through 21, and it reads like this. The reflections of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Do you see that we're getting set up for something yet? The curtains have opened, and out walks the main character, and he says this. You can think in your heart what you want, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It's almost as though the person that's going to do the narration has walked out. Listen to what he says next. Verse 2. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord evaluates the motives. Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be achieved. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And I want to stop there because if you've been to the theater, you realize that a lot of times as it opens up and, and the, the person speaking about what's about to happen finishes, they just kind of walk off the stage and the next scene is set and the characters walk out. And this is the moment where you and I walk out on the stage. We have heard exactly what's going to happen, that everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord, and be assured he will not go unpunished. And he walks off, and the curtain is opened, and the scene has begun, and the music is played, and then we walk out. Are you ready? Wickedness is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and anyone who turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. We've heard that, haven't we? God's verdict is on the lips of a king. His mouth should not give an unfair judgment. Honest balances and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his concern. Wicked behavior is detestable to the kings, to kings. Since a throne is established through righteousness. Righteous lips are a king's delight, and he loves one who speaks honestly. A king's fury is a messenger of death, but a wise man appeases it. When a king's face lights up, there is life. His favor is like a cloud with spring rain. Get wisdom. How much better than it is than gold. And get understanding. It's preferable to silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil, and the one who guards his ways protects his life. Pride comes before destruction, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. The one who understands a matter finds success, and the one who trusts the Lord will be happy. Anyone with a wise heart is called discerning, and pleasant speech increases learning. So let's set the stage. In one corner of our stage sits a king. And in this king, we, we see that everybody goes to him for wisdom. For those of y'all that know how this play really plays out, you would know this is Solomon. And he stands and he waits for people to come and gain wisdom from him. But there is a group who shows up. And as they walk in this side, they're clothed with darkness. There's a, a blue light on them as though to show some kind of shady dealing. 
And they come to the king and they give him falsehood. They tell him what he wants to hear, but not what's really happening. How do we know this is all setting up? Verse 12, wicked behavior is detestable to kings, since a throne is established through righteousness. Righteous lives for the king's delight, verse 13 says, and he loves one who speaks honestly. But listen to 14, a king's fury is a messenger of death, but a wise man appeases it. As they walk in, they think they have a story to tell this king that he will believe and he will give them whatever they want. But this king is wise. This king sees right through it as though he is also in on the play with us. He hears the music as they walk in. He sees the light. And he knows these people are liars. And as they start to tell him all the wrong things. There is one amongst them who has some truth in them. Verse 15, when a king's face lights up, there is life. His favor is like a cloud with spring rain. And he cries out to him, get some wisdom. It's worth more than all the gold I have. Get understanding. It's worth more than all the silver you can see. They leave, still full of themselves still puffed up, still assured that their lies have been heard and that they are believed. But listen to what verse 18 says. Pride comes before destruction. Because as soon as they leave the king, he sends someone out to find them. A haughty spirit or an arrogant spirit before a fall. But the one man that stood before the king with truth, it shows him in verse 19, better to be a lowly spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. The one who understands this matter finds success. And the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. Anyone with a wise heart is called discerning. And pleasant speech increases learning. And the curtain closes. You see... I want y'all to get the full measure of Proverbs 16 today. Because that lesson speaks to us. Because today you and I appear before a king. And it's not me. And it's not Grant. And it's certainly not the church at Quell Creek. You see, today when you came into worship, you came to worship the one true God. And I want you to know something that's true about you and I today. The first is this, the Lord knows the intention of our hearts. Verse 2 tells us that. All the ways man seem right to him, but the Lord evaluates the motives. So that means this, we are not a checklist society when it comes to stand before the king. He knows our hearts. He knows every way about us. And he knows how to listen to our hearts. It's as though he can see through the scene. Can't you see it? He can see what's really going on. Here's the next. Verse 5 tells us something about us. Verse 5 says, Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Pride is a sin. Pride is a sin. Remember, we started with there's two kinds of pride. Pride in people and pride in people doing the right thing with God. Being proud of something, not sinful. We get that in Scripture. But there is a pride that is opposite of humility. 
And this pride is a sin. It is to boast ourselves up and to tell God, I am greater than all these or all of you, both of which are a lie. None of us, none of us has got higher standing in view of God today. You know why? For we're all like sheep have gone astray, each of us. And the chastisement of peace was upon God on our behalf. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. You see, all of us needed salvation through Jesus. All of us. None of us was good enough on our own. None of us could answer enough. None of us could have enough on our spiritual resume to be good enough to be in heaven. Because there's a reality, and I think that we need to answer it today. As much as we believe Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, we would have done the same. Because none of us has been sinless. So we've all taken of the fruit. (laughs) We have all brought just hatred and bitterness and evil into our world. None of us is without blame. So it's easy for us, though, to go like this. I no longer have blame because I'm in Christ. Christ goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I'm the one without blame. So quit pointing fingers at anyone else saying it's their fault. They should fix it. If they would just, if we would just, if they could act, if they would do this, if that group would do that, our world would be a peaceful place. And God goes, there is one organization on the planet that I have given the keys to health and fixing what's wrong. And it's my church. And if it's not fixing things, it's because it's forgotten me. You and I have got to kill the pride so that we reach our world. Because the world is not beating down the doors of churches to come in and get saved. So the churches should be beating down the doors of the world to find them. Remember what it says? Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Doesn't it seem like the gates of hell are beating on our doors right now? Doesn't it feel like the gates of hell are at our gates? This is not how the church is supposed to be. But only we stand by and, well, my church is clearly better than your church. In Jesus' eyes, those in Christ are one church. They don't have walls. They don't have names. They're Jesus's. So because of that, together in Christ, those that believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, should be standing arm in arm against the gates of hell today and saying, nope, not us. Not now, not ever. Because as long as there is a gates of hell to be met, the church will be against it. That's why we've got to know the word. And that's why we've got to kill our pride. Because pride comes before a massive fallout. So let's look a little bit longer. Pride says this. I've got this. I've got this. God, it's good. I got this. When Jesus says, you don't, but I do, I've got this. 
if Jesus really is the thing that changes our world, if Jesus really is the salvation of the world, he's got this. He's waiting for the church to understand that. Does he have it or doesn't he? Can he move our mountains or can't he? Can he really do things in our midst or is he done? That is what the church has got to answer today. And frankly, that's what we got to do every morning when we look in the mirror is just declare, is God real or is he dead? We just sang a song about that, didn't we? Is he really in you roaring like a lion or is he a kitten waiting to be helped? Is God really the salvation of the world or is he just a good fabled story that people gather once a week to talk about? Is God real or is he not? Can I just, praise God, somebody said it. He is real and we get to prove it. Let me ask you a question. Has God done anything in your life that he, you would declare today that he's real? I don't know if y'all believe it. Has God done anything in your life that you could declare that he is real? Then your neighbors need to know it. Then your coworkers need to know it. Then your classmates need to know it. Then the world needs to know it because if God is real, he is coming back. And as much as we're grateful and thankful that one day we will suffer no longer, that one day we will be healed, that one day all will be made right, for those that don't know him, all will not be made right. They will stand before a judgment seat. So if God is real, our pride must be put on the altar and slayed so that we would go to our neighbors and share Christ with them. Or he's not. Isn't that the death of pride? That when we were younger, when the world hadn't affected us so much, when we liked things a little bit better, when we had a little bit more belief as children, we would share our faith with everybody. Didn't matter who you were. person in the aisle behind us, the lady who was sitting at the table next to us. If we knew Jesus as a child, everybody knew it. Only as adults have we let pride take over Jesus. But Pastor Kyle, what if I don't have all the words? When did Jesus ever say you should have all the words? But Kyle, I, I don't know if I've learned enough. When did Scripture ever say that you needed to be so learned that you could share Christ? In fact, correct me if I'm wrong, that is opposite of what Jesus said. So when did we lose sight of Jesus being everything in our lives and changing us so much that we could have evidence that he's done something to us? We've had evidence that he's done something through us that we won't even tell the person across from us he's real. I, this past week, I, I went to convention, sat together with a lot of pastors from all over the state, and we we talked about things that had happened, but in the midst of all of that, I ended up at this one place called Humperdinks. It's this little um, food place, and I, I sat down, and it's just me, and I, I've got my phone out. I just talked to my wife. I was talking to my family, and I'm sitting at Humperdinks, and I'm in this, like, corner booth. I feel like I'm in the mafia, you know, and uh, my waitress comes up, and she goes, welcome to Humperdinks. How can I help you? I mean, just like that. And I was like, I didn't know she was talking to me at first. She kind of like threw down my menu, and I was like, well, this is going to be awesome. And I was like, 
you have sweet tea? And she looked at me and goes, ah, yes. I was like, great, I'll have that. She's like, okay, you ready to order? I was like, I've never been here, so give me just a minute. Okay, walked away and I was like, in my heart going, Lord, I know you want me to talk to this gal, but it's just me. And it's this young, however old she was, I was like, how awkward is this going to be, God? And so I default back to what I have to do. I have a choice, right? Remember the books we could read? You choose, go to page 50. You go to page 50 and say you died. So you go back to page 37 and say, not that turn. Go to page 85. I had that moment. Talk to her or just go back into my shell and not say anything. And so I went, oh, I don't want to talk to her. God, I'm going to like extra classes. I'm opening my Bible. I've listened to sermons all day. Do I really have to listen? You know, and she walks back and I was like, chicken fried steak. Hey, by the way, here in a minute, I'm going to pray for my food. And it just came out. I mean, I didn't even, at that moment, I was still battling, but it just, blah. About to pray for my food. How can I pray for you? And she just goes, pray that I get a car. She said, I came here from California to go to school and my, my school stuff didn't go through. So I can't go to school. I'm having friends pick me up and bring me to work. I need a car. And walked away. And I was like, okay, I've done it. Whoo, thank you, Jesus. Praying for her. Give her a car, Lord. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. She brings me out my food, sets it down, and stands there. And I was like, you know, like, go away. Um, this is how this works. You drop the food off and you walk away. And she's like, so where are you from? And I'm like, oh, oh. you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do now. And I said, I'm from Amarillo, Texas. And she goes, oh, my cousin goes to school at WT. And I was like, oh, of course she does. Yeah, we got to talk more. I just want to eat. Go back. I said, oh, that's cool. How'd you end up in Dallas? She said, you know, I was going to go uh, to school at North Texas. Had all my stuff filled out for FAFSA and all that, and it didn't go through. And she goes, and I, I came up here on a, a bus. I was going to get to campus. I was going to work on campus, and I was going to go to school. And it all fell through. And she goes, I, I had nowhere to go. She goes, I went to a shelter for a while. And then finally found this job, and I have friends take me every day from a low-income apartment to here and back. And I just need a car. And I said, can I tell you something? Number one, I believe God can change your life. And at this point, I just got to tell you, I wish I could tell you I just had my minister hat on and was like, oh, allow me to get my ministry hat on. Now let's talk. Because I am clearly a man of the cloth. You know, but I'm just talking with this gal, and I said, listen, God can change your life. I believe God can give you a car. And she said, you know, I gave my heart to Christ when I was little. I grew up in a drug-infested house, and that's why I can't go back home. I don't want to be around it. I said, I agree. Where do you go to church? She said, I don't. She goes, you know, church is a place of judgment. She goes, every time I go, I don't have fancy enough clothes to show up. Usually I 
still have my name badge on from serving, and people give me dirty looks, so I don't go. And I just went, you know, you're right. Church sometimes can be a really mean place. I said, but you keep going. You know why? Because you seem like a nice person and you could change it. And she said, I don't know where to go. I said, let me give you a place to go. And there's a, a church that us on staff, we know really well. And I told her they have a college, young professional age group that meets every Tuesday night there. She goes, that's the night I have off. I said, that's awesome. She goes, what's the name of the church? And I told her, and she ran off. And I was like, really? You know, I just, don't judge me. Y'all have done the same. Chicken fried steak was delicious. Um, and she comes back, and she goes, that is two blocks away from my apartment. And I went, you should show up Tuesday night. She goes, I'm going. I said, sweet. And she goes, I'm so glad that you came here today. Because I was just done. And then with that, she took off. And, and I just had this moment where I went, God, please forgive me. Because chicken fried steak became more important to me than her. I don't know if you've ever had that moment. Where pride has started to battle you. And you know you should do something for God, but... You also just want to eat your chicken fried steak. And I just got to tell you, my friend Bethany works at Humperdinks in Dallas. If you're ever there, go there. Sit at a booth and ask for her. And then let me know, because I believe God's going to give her a car. I believe somewhere there is some business owner in Dallas that has a car that he has nothing to do with. And he's going to show up at Humperdinks. And Bethany's going to say, you know what? I'm praying that God will give me a car. And he's going to go, I don't have anything else to do with it. Show up. You see, Satan's going to use your pride to keep you from acting like Jesus. And the wisest of people kill pride every day and let Jesus be known. So as we finish out this story, as the people have left, there's a warning. Pride always goes before a fall. Because pride puts its nose up and declares, I can go wherever I want and the ground will be beneath me. Only to find out that there is a step coming that's going to ruin your perfectly shaped nose. It always comes before a fall. So how can you overcome pride? This is the hardship, but I think that Solomon knew, and he starts in verse 16 by saying this, get wisdom. In fact, more often than not than we see from Solomon, he says to pray for wisdom, to seek wisdom, to get wisdom, to be around wisdom. So let me encourage you with this. How to beat pride out of your life is by seeking wisdom. I'm going to give you a few tools for that, and then we'll be done. Number one. Read your Bible. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. In fact, while you're at it, read your Bible. Become a student of it. Mark in it. Put your thoughts in it. Put notes in it. And then go review with good scholars if your notes are right. Read your Bible. Make it a part of your diet. Make it a part of your New Year's resolution. 
Make it a part of what you do every day before you ride, uh, get out of bed and before you go back to it. Spend time in the Word. It's full of wisdom and it wants to change your life. The next, find people that love Jesus and be around them. This is why we have church. This is why we do things like this. Here's why. Your voice will change after a while if you don't have wise people around you. Your voice will start to sound like you, and your pride often has the same voice. I'm good enough. I don't need this. Had a man come to my office one time and say this, Pastor, I don't know why anybody goes to church. I can get everything I need from Jesus right there at the house. And I said, that's blasphemy. Jesus created the church so that you wouldn't look like you. He created the church so you would look like him. And there is one organization on the whole planet earth that God gave his life for, and that's his bride, the church. Now, it doesn't have to look like Quell Creek. I will just honestly tell you as the senior pastor here, we're always at work to perfect what's wrong with us. And you may be a part of the solution. Listen, we all bring enough brokenness that at some point we look like stained glass. But at least we shine somehow. You need to be a part of church. Because you need it to refine. So you need the word. You need the church. And can I just encourage you with one further step? You need someone that knows your story. It's easy to come to church and be a chameleon. Walk in with your family and act like nothing happened on the way here. To act like your story is perfect and that the birds flew around your car and when your wife got out, she sang, oh, 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 and they just landed. And your children, when they walked in, were like just to the nines. Everything was clean. Their hair was perfect. And when you walked in and opened the door, people went, Norm! That did not happen this morning, did it? You know why? Because that's a fairy tale. Here's what really happened. From the morning... From this morning, when you woke up, you have an enemy that hates you. And that enemy knows your children, knows your spouse. If you're single, he knows your singleness. If you're broken, he knows your brokenness. And he used it against you starting off this morning. You know why? Because the last thing he wants you to do is spend time on the Word in his church with people that know your story. Because he hates you. The enemy has a name. His name is Satan, and he hates you. You know why? Even if you didn't show up at church, you're created in God's image. So he hates you. But here's the thing. From the moment you woke up this morning, you have somebody that loves you. And he died for you. And he lives for you today so that you would be free. And listen, if you share your story with growing people around you, it just takes away everything that Satan can do in your life. We should leave him powerless because we serve the one who holds all the power and all the glory and all the riches and all the might and all the places at all times. And his name is Jesus. So this morning, while you may have an enemy, you have the greatest ally in history, the one who knows the start and end to your story. So can I just invite you today to move the mountain of pride? You can't do it with your hands. In fact, I would almost guarantee you that you built that mountain. But you have one with you this morning. 
who can easily move that mountain. And his name is Jesus. Will you give him your mountain of pride? He can move it and he can ruin it so that you can live a life full of moments like Bethany. My prayer is this, two things. Lord, break open Bethany's life today. Right where she is, I know she's working, Lord. <laughs> I know she's at work. And I know there's going to be Christians that walk in today, Lord, and they're going to act like hell because their pride has gotten in the way. And they're going to treat Bethany like junk. And she's going to see the church for what it's never supposed to be. But God, send someone. And God, remind us that there's Bethany's in Amarillo who need Jesus today. Who have mountains in front of them that they feel like can't be moved. Who are broken and left alone and on their own. 19 year olds, that's how old Bethany is, in the heartbeat of Dallas without anybody. Lord, remind us that there's 19-year-olds in Amarillo, Texas without anybody. And Lord, send your church. Lord, may our mountains of pride be killed in view of you. Let me pray over y'all. Father, may we be broken. That's all I have to say. Lord, may, may we be broken. Stand with me this morning. As we sing, you come. We believe the Lord can move mountains, right? Yes. So now is the time to ask him to do so.